scripture reading comes to us from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this manner I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but to even to desire to do, to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is, well, just to be perfectly honest, this is a bit of an odd passage. It it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but it does help when we understand the context and the background. Putting it bluntly, the churches of, of uh, well, the, the, at this point in time, the churches, everything from Jerusalem to Judea to uh, congregations that have been planted across the, the Roman world, well, they're in a capital campaign. <laughs> they're trying to raise money for those who stand in need for mission, what we would call mission and ministries, to plant new congregations, to get folks trained. They're doing all of these things. And, and the, the church in Corinth, Corinth was a really, really kind of rich town. Uh, it, it was real popular because of uh, material and dyes that it produced. It, 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 it's on a port. There's a lot of trade that comes through. It's one of the wealthiest one of the wealthiest cities outside of Rome. And in some regards, even wealthier than Rome. And they're complaining. They're complaining because, um, well, they've been asked to contribute. And they're complaining because they're saying, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in Corinth. There's a lot of, of, of beginning issues. This is not the right time. How dare you come and ask folks to give? 
Well, they've got all these things that are going on. We're at the beginnings of the Christian persecution. Now, hold that in perspective and go back and consider what Paul is telling them. Paul is encouraging them, and quite frankly, Paul is doing something that would make me a little uncomfortable, but there's a reason why he is Saint Paul and no one has called me Saint Kevin yet. He said, yeah, but I want you to think about Macedonia, the church in Macedonia. They're under severe persecution. They are in a poor community. They don't have all of the benefits that the church in Corinth has. They don't have all of the trade that Corinth has. They don't have all of the opportunity that Corinth has. And yet, here's this line. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now before you start thinking that where I'm about to go with this is this is the, you know, we have, we have one more Sunday in our capital campaign. Next Sunday is All Saints Sunday. We remember the lives of the saints. It's also Consecration Sunday where we're invited to bring in our pledge cards, all these fun things. And, and, and I know what you're thinking of is that we're about to do what Paul is doing, holding up Macedonia and saying, now these are people who have a right not to be able to give, and they're out giving you, and y'all are the ones that's got all the money here in Corinth. Um, but that's not where I'm going with it. That's not where I'm going with it. The issue that Paul is outlining isn't just simply a manner of budget or finances or offering plate. What Paul is going with is that there are two different spirits that are going on. I don't mean capital spirits or ooga booga spirits. I know Halloween is tomorrow. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about attitudes, actions. What Paul would say there's two different spirits. We would say there's two different attitudes because in Corinth, the attitude is here is my schedule and here is my day and here is my needs and here are my wants and the, here are my plans and I'm going to execute and rock all of these things and then I'm going to figure out where God and faith fits in with this. And in Macedonia, their attitude is here is what God is doing and this is where God is and this is what God has promised and so regardless of my current situations, regardless of my plans, regardless of my schedule, regardless of what's going on, this is what I feel called to do and we're going to follow that first. Do you see the difference? What's the most valuable thing that you have? What's the most valuable gift that you ever give to anyone? Is it is it your, your money? Oh, money's important. Again, I would make Craig upset because it's a capital campaign and I'm sitting here going money's important, but it's not the most important thing. What's the most precious gift you have to offer to anyone? Your time. Thank you, socks. Your time. Because no matter how much we work, no matter what we do, we can't make any more time. In fact, the notion of saving time is really an oxymoron. 
You can save time that you spend doing something, but you can't actually save time and bank it. You can't take four hours out of the day and add it to tomorrow, right? Doesn't work that way. The most precious gift that we have is our time. And we know this and we understand this. Whether we use that type of language to describe it or not, we, we get it. In fact, for those of us that work, for those of us that used to work, I guarantee you one of the things that you would do, one of the reasons why we try to get that next promotion or work that overtime is to help earn more to be able to provide for our families, right? That's one of the things that we're really concerned about, isn't it? We want to make sure that our families have what, what, what we want them to have, what they need, yes, but what we want for them as well. But let me ask you something. For those of you that work, for those of you that used to work, how many days do you come in and the people that you claim are the most important people in your life the people that you get up and you put up with the job and the work, how often do they get what's left over from you? Instead of what's the best you got to offer. Because you've gone to work and you've put up with the idiot there. I don't know if I'm supposed to say idiot in the pulpit or not, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Every job has got one. And if you work somewhere and you don't know who the idiot is in your workplace, congratulations, it's probably you. Because um, every, every workplace has got one, except for here. At the church, we do not have one. But every other place, so I have told, so I've been told, you got somebody. You've got someone that gets on your last nerve, or there is always something that comes up during the week that just grinds your gears, or that stresses you out, or that requires all of your effort and your energy, and you are exhausted, and you have to get there. You have to drive from your house to get to wherever your work is. Then you have to get home, and depending on where that is, one of the things I have learned, driving around Hoover, Alabama, that is very different from Fruithurst, Alabama. First of all, in Fruithurst, Alabama, if you have driven five miles, you are no longer in Fruithurst, Alabama. <laughs> Second of all, if you have driven five miles, you can drive five miles in five minutes or less, depending on the speed. And you really don't have to worry about it too much because Fruithurst does not have a police department anymore, not since 1976. But in, in Hoover, I have learned different times of the day matter greatly matter greatly. Five miles can take you five minutes. Five miles can take you 30 minutes. It all, and it's the same five miles. It's the same road, just depends. And so you get all, you, you gotta get to the work and you're already running late because you left at the same time. And that's the other thing, y'all lie. There ain't no such thing as rush hour. It is not an hour and it is not the same time every day. It is like there is a collective thing that happens where everybody is late on the same day, right? 
And so here is the thing. You, you get up and you're running late and everybody else is running late. And now then this five miles that normally takes you 10 minutes is now taking you 30. So you're getting there late and there's a meeting that you got to get to and you're walking into it late and someone's already chewing on you before you get there because now we have cell phones so that they can reach out and touch us wherever we are. We're walking in all stressed. We go through the day. The day is just nuts. We drag ourselves home, again, that five miles or 10 miles takes us now 45 minutes because even though everybody was late this morning, everybody's on time leaving to get home. And we drag ourselves through the door to the people who we say are the most important to us. And they catch all of the emotion that we have bottled up for the whole day. The, the kid that left their tennis shoes in the wrong place, that yes, you've told them a hundred times to put their tennis shoes up, but they, they, they catch it because that's just the last trigger. Boom, and it blows up. Or the spouse that by the time you finish unloading everything from your day, you don't even stop and think that they may have had a day too. And the people and the things that we claim are so important, they don't get what's first, they get what's left. That's what's going on in the church of Corinth. Because they've missed. They have a job to go to. They have a vehicle that gets them there. They have a house to live in. They have a family that's waiting for them. They have food on the table. And because they're an established rich Roman province, no one's coming and knocking in their door because of their faith. But Macedonia, Macedonia is catching it and the Christians are catching it and folks are knocking in their door and they, they, they don't have jobs to go to anymore because of the persecution that's going on. And yet they're still giving what's really important the first place. We would call it they're keeping the first things first. It's a generosity of heart. It's an understanding that drops us, that causes us an uncomfortableness. Dare I say it, even conviction. Because the reality is, is that we can forget. We don't mean to forget. We're not bad people. We don't, we don't mean, we don't mean to let our schedules and our priorities get all out of whack. It just happens. Just like we don't mean to come in and 
lash out at our families on a really bad day. That's not the thought that's going through our heads. It's just that everything else is piled up and everything's gotten discombobulated and it was one thing after one thing after one thing after one thing after one thing. It's all just one thing. That leads us to somewhere we didn't realize we were going before we got there. Because we forget we forget that every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father above. That in him there is no darkness. We forget that we are blessed to be a blessing. We forget that we are called to put first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and then trust that everything else will find its place. We forget that we are taught not to worry about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear because everybody else worries about these things, but our heavenly father already knows what we need before we ask. We forget that family is a gift of grace, that the ability to work is a gift of grace, that the ability to learn, to dream, to think, to create are gifts of grace. We forget. We, for, we forget. Because there's frustrations and there's difficulty and, and life happens. In First Church Corinth, just like Bluff Park, Alabama, they forgot. In First Church Macedonia, who had every excuse to forget, was holding on. It's the difference, I think, in singing praise God from whom all blessings flow and living out praise of God because we remember and celebrate from whom all blessings flow. When we're speaking of generous hearts, we're speaking of an attitude that acknowledges each and every day as a gift of grace. And that there are things in each day that we can control and there's things in each day that we have absolutely no control over. And so we're going to offer ourselves the best that we can before the throne of grace to live this day in a way that brings honor and glory to God and trust that God is providing and organizing and orchestrating everything else. And that God is holding this that God is holding our, our, our finances, that God is holding our work, that God is holding our fears and our doubts and our frustrations, that God is holding our failures, that God is, is holding our successes, and that God is holding our time and our talents and our families and the whole bit. that we're going to seek first where God leads and where God directs because we're going to trust that God knows all of these things that God is holding and that when we seek first where God leads and where God directs, 
then God arranges all the rest of the pieces. So yeah, tomorrow's Monday and it's Halloween. I'm expecting there to be some traffic delays. And to our dear family who are in the ministry of teaching, may the odds be ever in your favor tomorrow. (laughs) Please pray for our preschool because first thing in the morning, they're going trick-or-treating around our offices and I bought extra candy. Yes, there's frustrations. But even in the midst of frustrations, there's blessings. Don't allow the demands of the urgent. Don't allow the the, the fears of not being able to figure it all out on our own to rob us of the grace of God and the blessing of God in even those moments. Because with generous hearts, the struggles come, but they don't control us. With generous hearts, we recognize our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witnesses all laid out before the throne of grace. With generous hearts, we trust that God is organizing all things and that all things are working together for God's glory. And God has made a promise to us that he will not leave us or forsake us. And I got news for you. God's brought you this far. He hasn't brought you this far to drop you yet. So with generous hearts, we know to what we have been called. And with generous hearts, we dare to put first things first. The faith that we profess, the love and the grace of God, the calling that God has on us. And then we trust that everything else will find its perfect place. Because it's not about a wealth that we bring to the table from which we give. It's not about how much or how little on on anything. It's about even in emptiness or brokenness or in uncertainty. Even if it's out of our poverty, the the abundance of our poverty, we still dare, we still dare to trust that God's got it. So dear church family, I invite you, I invite you to surrender all of the stuff that I know you're carrying. Because you're carrying burdens that are not yours to carry. I invite you to not only trust Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation, but to trust Jesus Christ with your Monday and your Tuesday and your family and your work to trust Jesus Christ with the burdens and the stuff 
that you don't want anyone else to know about. I invite you to stop beating yourself up over your failures and wishing that you can do something different and give it to the one who will. To experience the generosity of grace from God to open our hearts to that generosity and live as generous people. Not only with our pocketbooks, but with the most precious gift that is ever given to you. And the most precious gift you will ever give to anyone, to the most precious people you will ever be around and see it all as a gift of grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m., and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.